Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Hey, we've been in the second week of the series called Breakthrough, and I'm really excited about this. I think, I just feel like God's doing stuff in my own life, and I, and I really believe he wants to do stuff in all of our lives. And I, I feel like, at least for me, and I think for our church, this is kind of a theme for this year, where he wants us, I, I think all of us as people have these places in our lives. They may be big areas that are causing great stuff right now, or they just may be minor annoyance areas where we feel blocked, we feel... Like as a person, we want to grow, we want to change, we wish we could get better in this, or maybe we want our career to move forward, or, or maybe there's some dreams that we have that we just feel like they aren't progressing, they, they don't seem real possible. Last week, we talked about how the power of dreaming is so important, because when we feel stuck in life, and dreaming is often the first thing that starts to fall off. And, and we all get that, right? We understand that, because why... Why would we want to be vulnerable to dream when there's so much possibility of disappointment and it's been such a long journey, it just doesn't seem to be happening. But dreaming, it, it is really the starting place of any breakthrough in our life where we've been stuck. Allowing God, the dream of God, where he wants to do immeasurably more than we ask, to, to start us asking God again about our dreams and, and more than we can imagine, the scripture says. So we let God influence our dreams to be more, to be better, to be different than we can even think on our own. Dreaming is the first starting place for any breakthrough we have in our life. So just how, how did that go this last week for you in trying to approach that? Some of you, it was probably easy. Some of you, it was probably maybe a little hard, I would guess. I think it was a mix for me. I spent some time thinking and dreaming about dreams that I feel like God has given over this place, over quests, and trying to get in touch with you know, some things God has inspired us to dream that still seem so far off. There's so much that I feel like he's spoken over who we can be as a people, as a church in this community, that, that we're, we're making great progress, but there's so far to go yet. And, and I spent time dreaming about life and family and, and marriage and what, what I want it to be in the future. And I spent time asking God about some dreams that, that I just I don't see how they're even possible right now in life, but, but they're dreams I've had that I feel like are from him. And, you know, those are kind of the harder ones to get in there and just start saying, God, can you... What do you want to say to me about this? How, how is this going to happen in, in my life? And uh, dreaming can be hard, but let me encourage you over the next uh, weeks, especially while they're in this series, be, be a little more intentional about going back to God. Maybe, maybe even ask him this question. What's the, what's the one hardest thing that you can believe God for over these next few weeks? What's, what's one of the bravest prayers that you can pray uh, in the next month or so during this series that will help you get in touch with those dreams and what God wants to do because he wants to breathe life into those areas of our life. Today, I want to jump and we're going to, we're going to jump into something that is really beautiful biblically and, it, and it's really practical as well. We see it as the key starting place for dreams being fulfilled in our lives and, and, and we even touched on it on Christmas Eve. So if you were here for that, you know, there'll be just a, a couple minutes of repeat today. When God came into the world to completely transform, defeat the powers of death and darkness and make a way for us to find forgiveness and be 
be in right relationship and salvation with Him and, and give us the promise that one day everything would be restored and set right. Everything would be completed one day. God came small as a baby. Why is that? Honestly, it's because I think everything big God does starts small somewhere. Everything big in life, period, I think starts small. Every breakthrough in life starts in the small things. I mean, we know people who wait to uh, have the dream be really crystal clear and know all the answers, people who wait to have everything in order before they actually ever start because they want to have it perfect, never take that first small step. And people who don't persevere in the small things never actually finish the dream for their lives. We can talk about it really practically. I mean, why do LeBron and Steph Curry spend so much time on the small things, just dribbling and shooting and footwork for hours a day? Why is it that when you read through the life of many of the spiritual greats in history, they lived with really solid, small daily habits of prayer and scripture and meditation? They didn't do it to earn God's favor. They didn't do it because they felt guilty. They did it because they knew God loved them. And they loved God. And they wanted to know that love more deeply. And they wanted to grow in being able to love others more fully as well. See, breakthrough comes because of God. And breakthrough starts in the small things. Because even when you look at creation, the creator of the universe is extremely interested in the small things. So to set up our discussion today, we're going to spend our time in the Old Testament book of Zechariah. Zechariah is a prophet who, after the fall of Jerusalem and the captivity in Babylon, returned with a leader named Zerubbabel. There's too many bees there, so you're going to hear me stumble on those bees in just a minute. With a whole caravan of people to rebuild Jerusalem and specifically to rebuild the temple. So, see, years before, about 70 years before, Jerusalem was captured. The temple was torn down to the foundation. Everything was just rubble. The walls of the city were torn down, and most of the houses were burned and torn down. It was just an absolute mess. Now, we're going to actually pick up in Zechariah where we find the people discouraged because things look so hopelessly bad, worse than they ever imagined, like the dream isn't possible. And God gives Zechariah a dream and then interprets the dream, and we're going to read that interpretation. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord for Zerubbabel. Now, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says Almighty. And he goes on and says, what are you, mighty mountain? And he's talking to this huge, impossible-looking task in front of them. What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. Then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of, God bless it, God bless it. Then the word of the Lord came to him again, and he says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple, and his hands will also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. And then here's our kind of theme verse for today. Who dares despise the day of small things? But isn't that where we get when progress isn't being made, like we think. We tend to despise the small things. But God starts every big thing by working in the small things. See, here's the deal. When God isn't showing up big like we want Him to, because we like Him to show up big, when things aren't going like we think they should, when dreams seem far off and maybe even impossible, we tend to respond like the people Zechariah is talking to. We doubt 
God's presence. We each have this dream for rebuilding whatever it is in our life, our own Jerusalem, but, but all, when all we see is rubble and a few stones, and we get to this point of frustration and think God isn't with us because the progress isn't there like we thought. For the people of Israel, catastrophe had happened. Solomon's temple was mere rubble. And think about it. This greatest symbol of the presence of God for them is now just a pile of broken stones. And when they connect God's presence to the temple, there's almost, there's almost certainly this voice going on in their heads, which is, I think, the same voice we have going on in our heads all too often. The voice saying, where is God? Is God with us anymore? Is God powerful enough? Or, or are the forces of this world, my circumstances, the people in my world, more powerful than God? Does God care? We back up and get the history. For centuries, nation after nation had fought. And over time, Israel's power had diminished. They had been conquered several times, forcing them to pay tribute and trying to coerce them into worshiping their their foreign gods. And now under Persian rule, they have the opportunity to come back and rebuild the temple. So they travel this really long trip from Babylon to Jerusalem, full of hope, full of anticipation, but they don't see what they thought they would see. And they question, isn't this God's temple? If so, then how could it be so devastatingly destroyed? Why couldn't God protect his temple? And if he can't protect his own temple, then how can he protect us? We ask those same types of questions sometimes. In our lives, when we face times where everything's falling apart, where nothing is going right, bad report is piling on bad report and setback on setback, and we begin to wonder if God is power, powerful enough. Or, or if we don't wonder that, then we at least begin to wonder, does, does, does God simply not care for my situation? See, as the Israelites faced the destroyed temple, it was a symbol of their most deep-seated fear, and I think it's our most deep-seated fear as well. The fear that God no longer is there, no longer cares, and is not strong enough. See, they came with hope that the temple would be rebuilt, and all they see is just Zerubbabel's couple stones in the foundation, and that's all they see, just hardly anything. And the people of Israel couldn't see in those few stones the future and what that looked like. What in your life is taking longer than you? ever thought it would. What in your life is, seems impossibly broken? You just can't ever seem to get it right and move past it. Where in your life did you think you would be much further along than you are, but instead you find yourself stuck in, when you think about it and let yourself think about it, really frustrated? See, God says to the Israelites and he says to you and I, wherever you're stuck, wherever you are, short of where you think you would be or thought you would be, wherever you find yourself frustrated with the lack of progress in your life, to you, to all of us, God says, don't despise the day of the small things. Now, why does God start small? I think he starts small because he has a process and a goal. First, the goal. We touched on this on Christmas Eve. If everything God did in your life was instantly the big finish, instantly the big dream fulfilled, you wouldn't be able to handle it. If everything came suddenly instead of starting small, there would be no small changes in you. If you woke up today and you won the mega Powerball millions, you would most likely be like the majority of other people who win it. It would ruin you. 
Uh, Fortune magazine did an article on that, and they said over one-third of the people who win it are bankrupt in five years. And for most of the rest, it ruins their lives with destructive addictions and ruins their relationships, creating all manner of heartache. The goal of God is to make us complete and whole and lacking in nothing, fully capable of not just realizing the dream, but actually living in the good that's intended by that dream. This passage also highlights though, God's process and how it works in order for us to find a breakthrough in life and do the things that seem impossible and bigger. And we see that process in the scripture we read. Let's, let's read just a portion of it again. So, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That, that phrase, not by might, not by my power, but by the spirit, that, that's a challenging thing to deal with. I don't, I don't know about you, but it sure is for me. It, it just seems so kind of ethereal, kind of out there. I mean, my reaction is maybe, uh, maybe a little bit like yours. I don't want to ask God for anything that I can do on my own. I mean, I don't pray that God's going to wake me up in the morning. I set my alarm. Now, granted, when I was in college working a 3.30 a.m. shift, I did need God to wake me up sometimes. I remember actually one specific time I got up, I walked the 300 yards to the parking lot, I drove three miles to pick up the guy I carpooled with, only then to really wake up and realize where I was and realize that the alarm had not gone off, it had only gone off in my dream, and I'd only been asleep for 30 minutes. (laughs) Sometimes I need God to wake me up. Maybe you do too, but generally not. You know, we don't need to pray to God to know that we need to be responsible about answering our work emails or put gas in the car or brush and floss our teeth. I don't want to waste my prayers asking God to do some things that I can do. But we forget, don't we, that there are so many things in life that we simply cannot control and cannot do consistently enough, good enough, on our own. I mean, think about it. The Israelites are facing such a simple task. Just cut and stack the stones and build the temple. Just do it. But that perspective is, is devoid of their life experience. I mean, Israel had been attacked over and over again. Even as the exiles return to Jerusalem, they find it worse than they ever imagined. And, and they face a very real resistance, both from some of the Jews who had stayed behind, but also from foreigners who lived in the area, who either did not want the temple to be rebuilt, or they were afraid that if it re- was rebuilt, they would be attacked again by someone and conquered again. It would seem like just, you know, pick up another stone, put it in place. A kind of keep it going, kind of simple, just do it thing, right? But I don't think that's all that different from our lives. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? Overwhelmed by just the pace of life, by the anxiety, by the stress, that, that so much so that something that should just be simple becomes something you simply cannot do. And you tell yourself, usually in not-so-nice tones, come on, this is simple, just do it already. But you just can't. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's managing your money better. Maybe it's responding to your spouse with a kind word when they say something sarcastic that annoys you, right? You know, maybe it's to stop watching pornography or something else. Uh, Come on, it's simple. Why can't I just do this, right? See, the reality is the list of things in life that we cannot control 
that we cannot do consistently well enough on our own is so much bigger than we like to admit. See, I want to invite us as part of this series to a prayerful conversation with God of not by my might, not by my power, but by your Spirit. I want to invite you to the small things in your life, a simple, small prayer of recognition with God, of the things that can never be done by your own might and power, but only by the Spirit of God in your life. For some of you, where you are not are able to just where you are not able to just do it, it is really practical and clear in your life right now. You have a recurring weakness, or or a, maybe you'll call it a stronghold in your life, or or something. It might be drinking too much. It might be never being able to take feedback well without becoming overly defensive and your depression going deeper. It might be a negative pattern of anxiety or anger or fear or impulsiveness or escape or something else that you know is unhealthy and wrong. You know it, right? It might be a way that you treat your friend or spouse or kids or family member and you wish you could do it different, but you want to do it better, but, but you just keep messing up and you do what you don't want to do. Whatever it is, it has gotten deep within your soul and you don't have the power to break free, to grow and change. You don't need more might. You don't need more power. You've tried that before. You've whipped up that willpower before. You've even gotten the accountability of others in your life and still you do what you don't want to do. What you need is God's Spirit. You need God's power. And think about it. That's why the AA and, and so many of those groups start off saying the first step is to admit your powerless. The second step is to discover your higher power. And the third step is to turn your will and your lives over to your higher power. You see, breakthrough starts in what I just summarized of those first three steps. And it's best if you pick the, the one true higher power in that whole equation. What is God's small thing in you that you want to do, have been asking God for his help? For some of you, maybe you haven't been asking God at all because you're so disillusioned. You're simply trying to do it on your own. You're trying to do it all alone. Uh, This has been a really deep soul-searching series for me, even in my own preparation, because I realized that there are things like this in my life that I've tried to carry on my own. And when I especially look at the areas where I fail over and over again, here, here's how I feel, and I don't know, maybe you do too, with those over and over things that you, you know, continually fail in time and time again. It becomes wearying to keep going to God about those things. Even if I know He loves me and wants me to come to Him, and He wants to forgive me and He wants me to grow, after so many times of coming, I just want to do it on my own. And get it right. But the problem is when I carry those things all on my own, cracks start to emerge in my own soul. See, I need to consistently, even if it's constantly, come to God in prayerful conversation, admitting my need, asking for His power, and releasing all the stress, the anxiety, the disappointment in myself to Him. So the big question for today is this. What is the small thing God is doing in you? Think about it. Every great book starts with a word. Every great painting starts with just one note. 
every great mu- piece of music starts with just, sorry, I got ahead of myself, one note. And, and, and next, week, next week, I want to invite you back for a really great note. EJ has written another worship song. It's going to debut next week. I am so blessed, so excited to be able to work with such a talented team of worship leaders. So, but isn't it true? Every great character change happens with just these small decisions, one after another, minute by minute, day by day. Every millionaire got out of debt and, and saved one dollar at a time. Every great business idea began in one small idea. Every person with a great spiritual life, it happens daily, one small prayer at a time, one minute at a time, meditating on God and His Scriptures. Every damaged relationship restores trust, one small faithful act at a time. Every great person begins as a small drooling baby. Come on, we all did, right? I mean, why don't we, why don't we really recognize this? Is how the way the world works. Why don't we recognize this is how God works as well? We so much want the big, but the whole small things focus is such a critical part. And it's found everywhere in Scripture. Hebrews 12 talks about it this way. It says, See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God, that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, we may read that and we may think, why spend so much effort on this, just this little one root of bitterness in one person's life? Why doesn't the Bible just talk a whole lot more about genocide and violence and racism and murder and war and all those things? It's because the greatest of evils starts small in here, in each of us. Why does God spend so much time talking about our thoughts in Scripture? I mean, our thoughts, they're on the inside. A thought never hurt anyone, right? But I love how Erwin McManus addresses that idea with a question. He says, but isn't it odd how that small thing, that thought becomes a conviction, becomes a word, becomes an action, and a lifestyle. And sometimes a simple thought becomes a cultural norm, like the evil of the Nazis or the ISIS or even the moral decay and the polarization of relationships going on in America today. Why does God tell us to be aware and take care of our feelings? Why does Scripture spend so much time on the power of a simple word, like is famously quoted in Ephesians 4 where it says, do not let any, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I mean, why does God focus on the small things so much? It's because he knows that in the small, there also lies the big. And God says, take care of those small things. Don't despise the small beginnings. Let the small things grow inside you. The forgiveness, the grace, the understanding, the compassion, the hope, the dream, the peace, the love. Let those small things grow inside of you because what seems so small to you is the stuff God created the universe from, the stuff dreams are made of. And most importantly, can you see the big in the small? See, if you only look at the small, 
you're going to be disappointed. That's the reason we started this series with dream again. If you have a relationship that's in trouble, it's on the rocks, it's distant, it's rough, and you want it to be great, you have to start with a dream that helps you be motivated about even doing the small things. But one of my more memorable, thought-provoking moments in, in my work on a master's degree in counseling years ago was, was the marriage class. They were gonna, you know, it applies directly to marriage, but, but this whole concept applies to pretty much any relationship, family, friends, bosses, coworkers. So as a young counselor in training, uh, my thought was, if you want to save a marriage that's in really deep trouble, you need to go after the big issues right away. And certainly the big issues do need to be addressed. What I learned that was often first the most helpful steps were to help couples develop a list of simple, small, caring behaviors. They were going to start practicing again with each other. See, when a relationship has gone awry, whether it's a marriage or with a boss or a coworker, the big issues are, they're certainly there, but what the big issues also result in is they tend to extinguish the small, simple things that healthy relationships normally do, like saying thank you. Like, you know, when you're both walking out the door to work, kissing each other and, and giving an affectionate pat on the derriere. Now, the, the, keep that one just, that's just marriage, not bosses. Come on. So just wanted to make sure that's clear. I don't want anybody walking away misquoting that one. Or, or, or taking a few minutes to do something nice for the other person. Like writing an encouraging note or affirming them verbally in public and for something uh, that they did nice. You see, when research has shown that by doing these small, caring behaviors, what actually happens is marriages start to shift. They start to gain traction. Positive feelings start to return. By simply doing some of the small, it enables the big breakthroughs to be so much more likely to take place. So if you're in a relationship where there are difficulties, whether marriage, boss, or other, you can begin to discover the power of small things that lead to breakthroughs by making your own list of caring behaviors and intentionally doing them, even if the other person does not do them in return. See, don't despise the small things. Because in the small things, God does the big things. Now, obviously, there's this tension throughout this whole passage between the big and the small, and I think it's illustrated in our text when it says, What are you, mighty mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. And then he will bring out the capstone. Now, the capstone is actually him giving this vision of the finished product. The, the capstone is the topmost stone that finishes the wall off, but, but, but it's still just one stone. It's just one stone goes on, then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it, celebrating. What, what this is telling us is, is learn to celebrate with God in the small things all along the way in our lives. Celebrate the small things with your kids. Celebrate the small things in your friendships, at your work, with your boss. Celebrating changes everything for us. See, what makes discouragement so hopeless for us is when, when we don't celebrate the small things is because we begin to think God isn't at work. He isn't favoring us. We aren't good enough. We don't have enough faith. But listen, that whole not enough faith thing, this seeing the big and small is such a huge part of even Jesus' language. In Luke 17, Jesus' disciples are asking him, how do we increase our faith so we can do bigger things? Is basically what they're saying, right? And he replied saying, if you have the faith 
as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Matthew's version of this, Jesus says in another place, he does the same metaphor, but he says this mountain will be thrown into the sea and it will be done for you. Now, it's really interesting, isn't it? Preachers often talk about these passages and they somehow twist it to say that we need more faith and God wants to grow our faith in that. But that's actually the exact opposite of what Jesus is saying in this moment. What he's saying in this moment is your faith is really probably isn't the problem. You don't need more faith. Your problem might be that you need more courage to actually step out and act on the little faith that you have. But what Jesus is saying about faith is just, just a little dabble, do you? That's all you need. Just a little dab. And you don't need faith for the whole thing right now. You just need enough faith for the next step, the next small step. You see, if you want to grow your faith, your faith grows by acting on the small faith you have right now in the small steps. All you need is a small measure of faith, the faith of a mustard seed, because Jesus can take small things and make them big. So, see, it isn't even really the measure of faith you have that's so important. It's, it's the person in whom you place your faith that's important and the fact that you actually step up and you take a simple, small step in the direction that Jesus is inviting you to take with your faith and take a step towards that mountain. He's wanting to move for you. So what are the mountains that you're facing where you need a breakthrough? What are the obstacles in front of you that never seem to move the personal growth or relationship or circumstances or dreams in your life that you look at as kind of impossible rubble that's overwhelming to you? See, in other places in the Bible, Jesus is actually referred to a cornerstone. We sang that in the song right before we got up here just a minute ago. It's your first foundational stone, but, but yet it's just, just another one single stone, one small step. And it's rejoice in him. It's not by your might. It's not by your power, not by your pure self-control and effort, but by God's spirit. Those mountains in your life will move. This makes me ask a question of myself, and I want to ask it of you. I wonder what big things God wants to do in each of us here, in you and in me. Because I'm convinced God wants to do big things in every single one of our lives. Now, those big things may not be the kind of big thing that everyone else around you can see, at least not right away, they, but they will be the kind of big thing that you look at and you go, wow, I never thought. And you recognize God in that. See, most of the biggest things in my life that God has done have been things that have been done inside of me. The biggest miracles in my life have been the way God took me from being a legalistic, religious zealot, always pushing hard to perform and be better than other people and demeaning other people in the process to learning more and more each day to live in that place of rest and recognition that I need him as much as anybody else needs him and knowing that I'm loved even when I fail and thereby learning to be able to see others with that same compassion I give myself because of seeing God and his love rightly. See, the biggest miracles are often the changes that make me less stressed. They make me a more loving person. They make me less prone to popping off and instead to be kind and compassionate because those are the things big dreams are made of in our life, aren't they? 
See, I love the way verse 7 says in another translation. It says, what are you, big mountain? In front of Zerubbabel, you will become flatland. And he will bring out the topmost stone shouting, it's beautiful, it's beautiful. See, the small things God does bring big things. And all those small things being celebrated are are the celebrations of, of life that make life beautiful in and of itself. All the small things that we get to celebrate along the way, that's the beauty of life. If you ask yourself, what makes up a beautiful life? I want a beautiful life. It's stopping trying to build it on your own. It's stopping trying to look at just the big dreams. But he's the one who moves the mountains and and is celebrating those little things. What we read is not just nice poetry. It's, It's the picture of the essence of beauty in our lives. When we celebrate the small things, when we get to know this mountain-moving God and live our lives trusting Him, it awakens your soul to the beauty of everything around you. The power of His presence begins to just pop before you in life at all the little things that are going on around you. You get to see His beauty in so many more things in life. You know, Some of you, maybe just a few of you, hopefully not too many, think this strongly, but some of you look at your life and you go, my life is horrible. It's horrendous. You can't see the beauty of your life because of the rat race you're living, because all you can see is your brokenness. You can see your inadequacy. You can see your failure. You can see those over and over things that you just never seem to be able to put an end to that cycle. You see the sin in your life. And the sad part is that some of you are surrounded by people, the wrong people, who that's all they see as well in you. All they do is reinforce how broken and hopeless you feel you are. But listen, if that's you, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Uh, You don't have to live life pointing to the end result. You don't have to justify the dream that God has given you in your life to other people. All you have to do is grab the cornerstone, Jesus, and take the first step And you can live life saying, you can't see what I see. All you see in me is an unfinished product. I am yet a dream, though, in the eyes of God. And that dream is still coming. It will come to pass. One day, God will finish this dream in my life. But right now, yeah, I'm just a pile of stones. And Jesus is my cornerstone. And God is building something just little by little every day. And you can live life rejoicing in every single new stone that's cut and laid in place, no matter what the whole picture looks like. Because the dreams of God in life and in you start small. And God makes the small into big. So you can say, all I have to do is live like Jesus invites me to live when he says, he who is faithful in very little is faithful in much. You can live like Paul commands us to say, you can say, I can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in me, he's going to finish it. He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus. The dream of Jesus to finish the work in me is solid. So yes, even though I'm so broken, even though I'm so imperfect, I'm so unfinished now, I can still dream and I can still trust and I can still celebrate Him who is able to do immeasurably more than all I can even ask or imagine according to His power 
that is work in me, in you. So where is God wanting to break through in your life? In a personal growth way. What mountain in your life needs to be leveled in order for you to feel like you can move into something more free, more beautiful, more whole as a person in life? Or what has God put in your hands to do that may just seem too big, it just may seem too much, it may seem too impossible? What are the small faith steps that you can begin to take this week toward God and toward those mountains that he's going to move. Have you ever thought about this? Do you know uh, how you become good at something? Whether it's prayer, whether it's sharing your faith, whether it's loving someone who's difficult to love, whether it's being successful in your job, developing a skill or a talent. You actually become good at something by first being willing to be bad at something. Right? But you just keep working at it. You keep doing the small things every day, again and again and again. I mean, think about it. We have fabulous musicians on stage. But you know what? I can confidently say that every single one of them were as bad at playing their instruments as you are if you don't play their instrument. Right? What is the small thing? The small choice, the small adjustment, the small prayer that you need to not despise in your life. But instead, not just don't despise it, but celebrate it and say, God, I take this small thing today as a victory. See, the big change you want to make can start for some of you is simply just as a prayer. You can say, Jesus, I give my life to you. Some of you have never prayed that prayer. You've maybe hung around church for a while. You've, you've wanted to be a good moral person, but you've never, you've never given up that control and said, Jesus, would you take control of my life? Would you forgive me? Would you lead me and teach me what it means to be the person you created me to be? If that's you today, I encourage you to just say that simple prayer. You can say it under your breath. You can say it right now. You can say it in a minute as we worship. You can come up to one of us afterwards and we can talk to you about that and help lead you in that. But all you have to say, it's a simple thing, but it's the most powerful thing you can ever do in your life is to say, Jesus, take my life I make it yours. I follow you. If you're here today and you say, I need God to do some big things in my life. I need some breakthroughs. I need some personal growth. There's areas where I keep, it may be big, it may be huge, it may be devastating, or it may be just a simple, I wish I could do this piece. I'm doing pretty well in parenting, but I just wish I could, I just wish I wouldn't do that. I wish I'd do that differently. It may be a small thing. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. You still need a breakthrough. You still want a breakthrough. And I just want to encourage you to say, whatever that might be in your life, that to just respond to God today by saying, I'm willing to step into the small things. I'm willing to be faithful in the small things. So would you stand with me as we pray? Father, first, I just want to bless the big dreams you have over each and every one of our lives. I continue to pray, even as we prayed last week, as we continue to pray that for the, anyone here who does not feel that sense of the big dream you have for your life, Lord, would you come and invade their space right now and that they would know how much you love them and how, what a beautiful life you have for them. Lord, I pray that 
all of us who are facing discouragement or, 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 or just frozen in some areas of our life where we just feel like we need, we need something to change, I pray, Father, that your spirit would come to us right now and that you would show each one of us just the, the simple, small things that we can celebrate, the simple, small things that we can do, and that we can trust you with whatever simple, small faith we have to be the God of breakthrough in our lives. So we just surrender to you and thank you that it's not by our perfection, not by our willpower, not by our control, not by our might, not by our own wisdom. But Lord, even in the areas where we feel like we have none of those things, that you're coming to us and leading us through them. Lord, we love you. We worship you. If you're here and you're one who prayed that simple prayer of Jesus, I want to give my life to you. And I want to encourage you, make it one more step real. Make it real by telling somebody you prayed that prayer. You can be your neighbor. It can be a friend you came with. It can be a family member. It could be one of our wonderful prayer people here. But make it explicit. It's some, there, there, there's something in, in, in sharing it with others. There's something in sharing our lives with other people that leads us to breakthrough. So even if you're here today and you go, yeah, God was speaking to me, God is speaking to me about a simple, small thing I need to do that I've let fall by the wayside, that God is saying, come on, just take this small step, then share that with your friend too. In fact, I, I would encourage you, if you're not in a quest group, get in a quest group. We have more people in quest groups than are here on an average Sunday morning. And we have some great people out, out in the lobby who today could help you kind of filter through your likes, your dislikes, your interests, and kind of help connect you to some most likely good fit groups. But, but find that relationship that allows you to share and celebrate together all these small things that God's doing in your life. It's so critical because we'll get so discouraged. Even if we just try to celebrate all that small stuff just on our own, we'll get discouraged if, if nobody else shares that celebration with us. That's the reason relationship is so important to your faith. So I want to encourage you, if you're not connected to a group, to take your time to begin to explore that today. Today's a great day to do that. If you're here and, and there's any other thing where you're just feeling discouraged or you want God to touch you or you need healing or anything like that, then before you leave, continue to allow God's presence to have the opportunity to come into your life today and touch you. We have fantastic prayer people down here. You can turn to your neighbor or two and say, would you pray for me if you want? It doesn't matter where it happens. We just use our little faith, and God's the one who does the work. So just take that step today. Don't leave without that. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.